Good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm really enjoying my stay, and I'm very grateful to the pastor who is currently in my grandparents' uh, home country. And uh, I'm grateful to him and to the other the priests here. Made me feel right at home. And to all of you for uh, having me here, and to the archdiocese for uh, accepting me as one of the visiting missionary priests during the summer with the uh, missionary appeal. So I'm, I'm very happy to be here and, and uh, very grateful. I'll be heading back to Chicago, and then next week, weekend I'll be in Schaumburg at the uh, Parish of the Holy Spirit. So I'm on a visit here in the States. Uh, I'd actually be for about two months. I have my medical checkups in Detroit, which is where I'm from, and uh, various things to do, and then back to Nicaragua, where I've been now for 36 years. So time flies when you're having fun. It's, you know, it's, uh, and I'm really very grateful. It hasn't been all fun, but uh, fulfilling and uh, happy. Uh, so I'm very grateful for my time there. I'll be returning around the middle of October. So what I would like to do is first tell you a little bit about my ministry, part of my ministry in Nicaragua, and then uh, share with you some reflections about the gospel reading. So part of my work is with people with disabilities, or as they, not all, but some of them, and many like to say, with special abilities. Special abilities, because they develop special abilities uh, to cope with uh, the challenges of, of having disabilities. And uh, it's amazing to see how people can grow and, and learn and um, really um, have, a, have a good and fulfilling life in spite of all the obstacles that they have. So for me, it's been a great inspiration to be with them. My program is very limited, but I think it, it helps. Um, I have about 70 people that I uh, know and I've gotten to know over the years. I <coughs> have what I call um, pastoral accompaniment and social financial um, assistance support. So the financial assistance consists of, um, I have about 70 people and 10 receive $100 a month and some receive more receive uh, 60 and then down to 40 and then 20. So it's very limited, but there are 70 people who I think are helped uh, by that. And uh, you have to realize that there's no, uh, really no uh, pension system in Nicaragua for people who are disabled. You can be born blind and there's nothing available from the government. If someone is injured on the job and if they're working at a place that's paying into Social Security, then they will have some minimal compensation uh, as a pension, but generally not. So, uh, and it's hard enough for people uh, who have uh, all their abilities to, <clears throat> to find work and to make a go of it, but for people with serious disabilities, it's, it's very, very difficult. So the help that you will give and that uh, people here have given and, and other fundraising that I do in the States is, is very necessary and is, is put to good use. Uh, I do receive some substantial support from my province, the Jesuit province, the Midwest province of the Society of Jesus, based in Chicago. 
Of course, this, that's my ministry in Nicaragua, so I receive uh, substantial support uh, from my Jesuit order. But the needs are always increasing, multiplying. And inflation is also a problem there. It seems to be worldwide, about 10% now in Nicaragua. So um, I try to do what I can, and uh, every, everything helps. Um, sometimes I take people for a private consultation with a private doctor because the public health system is very inadequate, very deficient. Uh, I, don't, I feel it's best not to waste my time or other people's time taking people to the local, <coughs> the local public hospital or health center. There are a lot of botched operations, which are very tragic. And some surgeons in the neurosurgical uh, unit at the public hospital have told me, and I've witnessed some operations there, actually. Uh, I was in pre-med at the University of Detroit before I entered the seminary. People say, you, you wanted to see a brain operation? Well, yes, I saw two of them and one spinal cord operation. But the it was kind of tragic in a way. The, the surgeons there were saying, you know, we don't have great success here because by the time the, the patient reaches the operating room, the cancer is too, too far along, too far developed. So that's the, the, where the system fails, basically. But so I take people to private, uh, on a private basis, private consultations with physicians, and then I have to pay for some of the tests, um, you know, CAT scans and uh, the uh, various other exams that people, examines, examinations that people need. I just want to tell you one story, and then I'll get into the gospel reading to share some reflections with you on the gospel. Um, a lady by the name of Alba had, was totally blind in both eyes. And I said, well, you know, I found out, found out what happened. She's actually in a neighborhood where I celebrate mass regularly in a small chapel. But I hadn't realized that she had gone completely blind. And so she had been blind for about uh, at least a year, between one year and two. So she said, well, it's cataracts. You know, they told me I had to wait until the cataracts become mature. Well, we all know that, not all, but those of you who are my age probably have heard that. Um, and that's what she was told, rightly so, but they never got around or she never continued. I don't know exactly what happened, but she never did have the operation. And uh, so I said, well, let's go to see uh, Dr. Pilarte, a very good uh, ophthalmological surgeon, a retina specialist actually, but he does all kinds of operations. So we had the operation with him. It cost me $1,500, which would be an unheard of bargain here, right? I mean, it'd be totally uh, rare, it'd be impossible. <laughs> but there, $1,500, that's the general cost. I've paid about that much for another lady who needed uh, carpal tunnel syndrome uh, surgery on both hands, about $1,500 for each operation. But you have to realize that 1,500 is um, a, an extremely high amount of money when people are making, if they're working at a regular job, if they're teachers or people working in hospitals, they can be making $200 a month. That's a standard wage. For farm laborers, it's $100 a month. And so it's totally inadequate, the uh, system of uh, pay and you consider that the cost of living for the average family, even according to government standards, is about 
I think now it's about $500 a month. So there's no way people can pay $1,500, even though it seems very little for us, but um, people can pay $1,500 for an operation. But I was able to do that, and the operation was successful. I asked the doctor and the patient, I said, well, when we, we come back tomorrow and the doctor is going to take the patch off, uh, could I bring my camera, my iPhone with a camera, and uh, record that scene? I thought it would be pretty dramatic, and it was. And so the doctor said, fine. He must have been confident in the results of his work. <laughs> and the patient, uh, Alba, said, fine. And so I did that. And it was really beautiful, as you might imagine. She, it sounded like one of the scenes in the gospel, you know, where the person is healed and start, I can see. They start dancing and jumping up and down. You know? <laughs> and uh, so it was a joyful and quite dramatic uh, time for Alba and for all of us. Then when I took her home, she said, I can see my grandchild for the first time. She had a grandchild during the previous year. Uh, the grandchild was born. And she said, I see my grandchild, you know. So it's a beautiful thing, and you can accomplish things like that with some resources. So, and that's what I try to do is bring some resources there and uh, put them to good use so that your help will uh, be very much appreciated in that regard. Uh, now, if we look at the gospel, we find that it's not that easy to figure out exactly what the uh, message is here, but I've reflected on this quite a bit. First of all, we have uh, somebody asking, Lord, will only a few people be saved? <clears throat> and uh, Jesus never exactly answers that, as far as I can see. Will only a few people be saved? Instead, he seems to say, uh, that's not important, how many. What's important is how. And you strive to do your best to live a good life, a decent life, following your conscience, following your ideals, loving one another in your family, in your neighborhood, loving the more needy people of the world. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. It depends on how we live. So he seems to be saying, it's not, not a question, it's not that important how many we'll get through. It's kind of an idle curiosity question in my mind. What's important is how, how we get through and how we live in such a way that we are citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of love, justice, and peace here in this world and in the next. So the account goes on. People are saying um, that, uh, Lord, open the door for us. And Jesus says, I do not know where you are from. Or this is in the, in the uh, parable, actually. Um, and you will say, we ate and drank in your company and you taught in our streets. Then he will say to you, I do not know where you are from. It's not important where, where you're from, whether these people were with Jesus in the streets as he was walking along or whether they were with him in someone's home when he was uh, having supper with them or, or teaching. That's not important. And we might say for us, the most important thing is not that we are... Catholics, I mean, it's important, but the question is, how do we live our faith and our Christian commitment? And so I think it's how is the more important question. And then he said, depart from me, all you evildoers. So people who are doing evil, committing sin, are obviously not citizens of the kingdom, because the kingdom is wherever God 
is reigning, wherever God is ruling and people are obeying, that's where the kingdom is. And it can come in little by little in this world. The kingdom can be uh, more present in your home, with your family, in your neighborhood. The kingdom is present in this parish with very nice, uh, very good uh, communications and a good community spirit and commitment to serve others. The kingdom is wherever God is king, that is, wherever people are obeying God as king. And so, uh, so evil is the opposite of the main Christian virtue, which is love, love of neighbor, love of neighbor in a practical way. So to me, evil or sin is hurting people. When we hurt people, harm people, either, as we say in the, uh, the uh, confidior, uh, by, by thought, omission, word, or commission, uh, if we're hurting people, that can be very serious. And so we're not citizens of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God who uh, teaches us love and justice and peace. We're not citizens of that kingdom to the extent that we hurt one another. Uh, so um, then Jesus says, uh, people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and will recline at table in the kingdom of God. So maybe the answer is that many, many people will be going through that narrow gate because the, the, uh, the whole context is broad. It's as broad as the world. It's not confined to one nation, the nation of Israel. It's not confined to the people of God of the Old Testament. It's not confined to the, the, holy, the holy land. Uh, the kingdom of God is wide open. The door is, it's a, it may be a narrow door, but many people may be getting through it because the invitation goes out to the whole world. It's not just confined to one people, the, the people of God of the Old Testament. So all people are invited, even people who have never heard of Jesus Christ, never heard the message of Jesus, never heard the word, never heard the gospel. People in the middle of China or in the middle of India or various places uh, in Brazil, I know there are many areas. What about those people? Well, I think the church is teaching now that um, they, can, they are on the path of salvation uh, as long as they are following their conscience and living a decent life, living a good life, responsible, caring, loving, and open to the search for God. They've never heard of the word Jesus Christ, so they can't be uh, Christians uh, explicitly. But um, it all depends, I think, on how we live. And finally, I've come draw to a close here. Um, to me, the classic passage on this, so what are, what are the criteria then for being a citizen of the kingdom and for being with God for all eternity, the, the criteria are not spelled out here. All it says is, um, get, depart from me all you evildoers. So those who are doing evil are not gonna get through that narrow gate. Seems kind of obvious. Um, but what does it mean then to do evil or to commit sin? Well, as I said, to, to hurt people, to harm people in the family, in the neighborhood, or throughout the world, or to harm Mother Earth. I think we're becoming more aware now of the harm that we do to Mother Earth. And uh, Pope uh, Francis is especially strong on uh, teaching us about that. So there's no real criteria, criteria here, but we have Matthew 25, verses 31 and following. 
uh, where Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was a stranger, you took me in. And when I was sick, you cared for me. The translation now, the scholars are saying the translation there of the Greek is uh, better to say, um, when I was sick, you cared for me, not just visited me, you cared for me. So it's a question of love in action, right? love in practice, in concrete ways. And so they say, well, Lord, when did we see you in prison, a prisoner? And when did we see you hungry and you a stranger? and see you sick, and we cared for you. And he says, Jesus says, um, when you did those things, those acts of charity, those acts of solidarity, with uh, the least of my brothers and sisters, you did that to me. So it's really an amazing uh, statement of the gospel, one of the strongest and uh, most important, I think. So we love God, in Jesus, because Jesus is God. And where is Jesus? In us, in you, in me, in everybody, especially people in need that we can respond to and care about and care for. So to me, that is the criteria. We don't need to worry about how many people are going to get through that narrow gate. We have to think about ourselves. And how am I living? Uh, how am I following Jesus and putting love into action. Then we have the famous teaching also, what is the most important law of the 630 precepts of the Torah of the Old Testament? Uh, what somebody They ask him, what is it all about? What does it come down to? Uh, what's the essence of this? And he used two uh, verses from the Old Testament, actually. He didn't make this up. Jesus didn't make this up. He used two, one from Leviticus and one from Deuteronomy. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. That's from a, a different, that's from one of those Leviticus or Deuteronomy, you know, one is from one, one is from the other. Um, but they're inseparable. I think that's the point. They're inseparable, those commandments. So I think we see the importance of caring for one another uh, in our homes, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, in this country. So many needs that we see around us and in other parts of the world. But we're called to respond. We're called to do what we can. And in that way, we are living according to the will of God. So let us pray that, I was like that old prayer we, I learned a long time ago to the Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them, in us, the fire of your divine love. Beautiful, very meaningful prayer. What does the Holy Spirit do? Kindles in us the fire of divine love. We can grow in love. We can grow in our sensitivity, our care for others, and putting that into action. So let us pray that uh, the Lord will help us to grow as persons, to grow and become more loving always, and more caring in uh, specific ways. And that way to go through the narrow door with probably tremendous numbers of other people from all over the world, not just from one place that's called the Holy Land. And so um, winding down now to conclude, I like to conclude with a, uh, a line from Pope Francis. He always ends his uh, Angelus talks, which are very nice short 
talks, usually just a couple of paragraphs you can find on the Vatican website. Um, he always ends with, um, okay, so pray for me, which uh, always says thank you. Um, pray for me, which is the first thing he said when he came out on the balcony after being elected, elected pope. Pray for me um, and um, have a good lunch. He says, he always says that. That's kind of standard line of Pope Francis. You know? and maybe he's thinking of, as, an, as a person of very strong Italian background, his grandparents were, or at least one was, uh, or I think his father, one of his parents was born in Italy. He speaks Italian fluently. That's why when he speaks in the Vatican, it's always in Italian. Of course, he speaks uh, Spanish fluently too, being an Argentinian. But... Um, so uh, it shows a kind of a caring, sensitive, and humorous uh, aspect of the Pope. So thank you very much for having me. And um, let us pray that the Lord will help, that we'll all be open to the help of the Spirit so that we grow in love and in our care for others and in our ability to put that love, that charity into practice. Thank you very much.